Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of the Positive Aging Community. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. We're able to bring these discussions to you along with copies of the Positive Aging Sourcebook thanks to the support of our Positive Aging Community Champions. Visit ProAging.com to connect with them and find hundreds of other resources. Today, I'm thrilled to have a discussion with Sam Simon, who's actually been diagnosed with dementia. And Sam has written a play titled The Dementia Dementia Man and takes the stage as a man facing his cognitive decline. He forces us to ask hard questions of what to do next in face of what he calls an existential journey. I spoke to Sam and his wife, Susan, about their journey. Sam's on a mission to help other people understand dementia and its implications. So let's jump into a great discussion with Sam Simon. The, um, uh, Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've had a very interesting career and you could probably talk the whole hour about that, but give us, give us the highlights and, uh, and then let's move into how you discovered that you had uh, dementia. So um, I have early stage Alzheimer's. And I do want to note that tomorrow is uh, World Alzheimer's Awareness Day. And uh, we will probably touch base on some of that in a minute. Um, <clears throat> so I came to Washington, D.C. area. We live in McLean, Virginia. In 1970, to uh, out of law school to uh, work for Ralph Nader, I have to say that was 53 years ago. Some people might not remember who he is, <laughs> but back then he had he he was uh, collecting from his lawsuit against General Motors. He wrote a book called "Unsafe at Any Speed," and in fact, most of our auto safety comes from his work. And it was a really exciting and high visibility uh, time for me and Susan. We were very fortunate to uh, come. I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. Uh, Susan's from Houston. Uh, we've been married this now 57 years. We met while in college. Uh, and in the play, I know that nobody thought it was a particularly good idea. <laughs> but so far, it's worked out. Uh, <laughs> but you never know, I'm teasing. Um, and I'm... You know, I've been fortunate and had a very successful and wonderful career in the Washington, D.C. area since that time and worked for Ralph twice. I'm, my sense is I was a, a bit of a minor celebrity, got to get on TV around the breakup of AT&T and was even on Oprah Winfrey show once. But that was a long time ago. I created a public affairs firm, but was fortunate through some of my work in public interest to, to spend some time um, in New York with a um, nonprofit social justice ministry, even though I'm a nice Jewish boy, it's in the play, but, um, and it was sort of there. I did some improv training and serious improv training in New York, discovered my, you know, sort of interest and energy around theater and, at that time, um, it was in the early 2000s, could see how th art, theater, music, come to believe it, that, in fact, uh, 
people's minds are more likely to be changed by emotion than by fact, that art and music and theater can both help change minds. It can, they can also be healing. Um, and so my first play that I wrote, that I found is called The Actual Dance. And that was in two, first performed in 2013. Yes, and Susan, that's our wedding picture from 1966. Yes, um, Susan in 2000 uh, was diagnosed with uh, advanced breast cancer. And in fact, there was a time in her diagnosis where the world went dark, when I mean the world, the medical world, and didn't think she would survive. And I had to confront being with someone I love as they would take their last breath. I somehow, years later, Susan is obviously fine, fully recovered. I, I, you know, I almost don't even know why or how, but it was through this improv work that I, I began talking about my experience seven, eight years later and found that play. And so I, my work in theater. So fast forward, you know, around 2016, 2017, I started um, experiencing some cognitive issues, but we don't know what they are. When they, I don't know what they are. Uh, confusion, I remember early on, I complained to one of my, in, my internists at the time that about my memory and he looks at me and says, oh, look, you're, you're just fine. You know, I, I call it in the play overeducated um, men overreacting to normal aging. Mm -hmm. That's what the doctors are saying. And that, by the way, is a problem because if you are like me, you begin to experience some things and you get dismissed, you need to learn, to, I needed to do it too, to how to push back because he was just absolutely positive. The funny part, I'll be quick, is he said, now, if you couldn't remember what you had for breakfast, then I'd worry about you. And I go, breakfast? What the heck did I have for breakfast? Oh. So, <laughs> now, but this was a line, scheduled me with a social worker. Yeah. Uh, Sam, let me let me pause for a moment yeah. because I, I really want to dive into your, um, what, how, this story. But before we do, I want to just reiterate uh, and 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 get Susan uh, to make a little comment here. So, what came first? You you wrote this book, the actual dance, um, correct? I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Susan, Susan. I mean, Sam wrote the book, the actual dance, about the experience of going through having a loved one with uh, breast cancer, and yeah. was did you? write the book before the play or did the play come before the book? The play came before the book. Okay. And then the play came first. Susan, I, you know, Sam has just made every married man uh, just seem <laughs> like we're insignificant. What was that like to have your loved one, you know, honor this journey that you went through with a play and a book was were you comfortable with this? And and like, how did you, how did this make you feel? It, it took a while um, for me to become comfortable with it. I'm not one that likes to be the center of attention at all. Um, and um, I, I, it brought back 
a lot, many times, lots of memories that you put away. So it it was like, okay, it's it's coming back. But I kept saying to him, and we had discussions about this. I don't have cancer anymore. I'm I'm okay, you know. So it was. Uh, some performances were more emotional than others. And I, I, I now sitting on the other side, when he performs, I can feel how he must have felt about the whole situation. It puts everything sort of in perspective. Um, and it and and it is it isn't easy for the partner ever. No, so, and and I'll tell you, um, I'm glad you brought that up. And your your relationship has this very unique perspective because as I was listening to, as I was in the audience for the performance of the um, of Dementia Man, I was thinking about you, and I was like, wow, what is this like to relive this? You know, because it does put a lot of, there's a lot of pressure and emotion on the spouse. But I think the fact that Sam has already, you've already been involved in a performance in a book that it makes you a very ideal partner to be a part of this journey that, that Sam has created. You know, I don't, I love that because I don't think we've thought about that. Right. That we um, haven't necessarily focused we do talk about you know the the roles are switched yeah and i was caught my i call the love partner in that journey and and now it's i don't want to say that I, I say it's her turn but it is her turn and you never you know there's a tragedy aspect to that you don't want it to happen and as that and at the same time it's a privilege mm -hmm. okay. you know the, the ultimate gift I've come to believe in a love relationship is to be able to hold that person or be with that person, so, you know, and make sure that they feel loved as they go through their journey. And it, it is a privilege, actually. No, absolutely. Uh, for better, for worse, as they say. Right. Right. So the, uh, okay. So now let's get back to your journey. So you started having changes that 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 concerned you at least um out of curiosity uh susan did you sort of see changes in sam or was this more internal on his end at the at this point uh, it, it was more internal on his end mm -hmm. um because as you said before we have worked in the industry your mind is very different and you were thinking more in terms of those you had worked with in a different setting. And all of this is put in perspective. I, I think back about it and I think about conversations I had with families and I'm going, oh my, if I had only, I should have paid more attention to what he was telling me earlier, you know, but also the, the, the doctor, our doctor, our family doctor said to me, is this his personality or is this happening? And that made me think at that point that to pay attention to what was going on. 
Okay, great. And I want to respond to a question that just came in. It says, will Sam be performing today? And I want to let everybody know that no, Sam is not going to be performing today. This is just an interview with Sam and Susan on the journey that they've gone through. He's going to talk about the, the play in that journey, but I want to share with everybody, Sam has been very busy. And at least if you're in the mid-Atlantic up to New Jersey, there are um, a variety of performances and more to come that are being added to the calendar. And I'm I'm sharing that on the screen, but I'm also sharing it in uh, chat for everybody. Um, so, but what my what my goal today, folks, is I loved the performance, but I'm interested in now just hearing that narrative and the story of um, of a man and and his wife discovering that he has been diagnosed with dementia. And, and the steps that have taken. So hopefully that that gives you all a, a, a glimpse. So, um, so okay, Sam, so you had some concerns, you went to the doctor, you you talked about how he dismissed that. And now, now, let me just add, and it's, so it's over a period of time now. So I, I met, they gave me a, a mild, um, um, antidepressant for that first time you know it may have hit, may have hidden some of the symptoms or minimized them or made me worry less it was many years later again the doc, my primary doctor you know i would have very in retrospect distinct and alarming um, experiences including driving on the wrong side of the road luckily no accidents accidents and, but I began to develop a particular symptom that it sounds weird. So I'm going to tell it anyway. In the play, I call it uh, new and weird. But it felt as if, and I don't even say felt, I experienced what I, what I felt and experienced. So I'm doing this. I always do this. That on one half of my brain, I there was an infinite nothingness that if I wanted to remember something, I, I have an internal eyes that would look that way. Sorry, I don't want to hit you. <laughs> and it would just be infinite infinity. And it scared me and it worried me and I didn't understand it. I mentioned it in, in a session with the doctor again saying, well, you're just probably a little depressed. Oh, and I told him about that. That's when he referred me to a neurologist. Okay. And um, I have now in this, that was in um, 28, early 2018, maybe 2017, because my final diagnosis with mild cognitive impairment came in 2018. Okay. And, and <clears throat> I went through the process and, you know, I'm now very deeply involved in the I hate, by the way, I hate the word dementia movement and the patient side of things. And my experience I've learned is not unique. And in fact, it's fairly, unfortunately, typical. And you, and I will tell folks that in the play, the way that you artistically uh, demonstrated that infinity was very effective. Um, and the, and so 
Then the next part of the play that I really want you to elaborate on is you 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 started going to a neurologist and the challenges of you know tell a little bit about that story and there's there's a shocking element in the play that certainly drew some tears from me in the response that one of the neurologists gave you when you got your diagnosis well it's the first i went to the so our first neurologist he he but it was the same thing. We went to see him. He was, oh, all right, all right. Then I told him about the infinite nothing space. And he he schedules me for every study of the electronic study of the brain that exists. I go through them, EEGs up the gazoo. And um that's what got me the the to the neuropsychologist for the uh, neuropsychological exam that got me diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. But then when I came in to get the formal from the neurologist, it was just, well, you know, you, we have the MRI in the brain, there are no black tangles, we had no idea what they meant. Um, you know, he, he had a 15 minute appointment to say, you've got, um, yes, you do have MCI, mild cognitive impairment. Um, good news, you don't have any uh, black tangles in the brain, I've got to go. And I stopped him and said, well, what, what does this mean? What's my uh, prognosis, what treatments, what we have this, we're new. We had the silly idea I could get well. <laughs> and uh, he gets a bit short with this and says, well, wait, you know, I've got patients waiting. There's only one road for you, Sam, you're going to get worse. Um, and then he remembers, said, well, maybe you should have some Aricept. Now, I've since learned Aricept is sort of the last in the dr available drugs for this kind of thing. It, it can help, but it's the last one. And he didn't even schedule a follow-up appointment. Yeah. And, yeah. and so we were, at, we were literally at sea. And luckily we had a friend who's, I say luckily, but whose friend had passed away from a cognitive disease who recommended a different neurologist. Also, I went to the Georgetown Hospital Memory Center and Again, you want to make sure you're getting the correct, and we have three independent diagnoses now, and I am in a drug trial, so there is no question. People will hear me today, and they'll look at us, and he can't have Alzheimer's. I can guarantee you, if you will, I'll spend two hours, we can go through the little, the unhappy stuff. <laughs> well, no, no, absolutely, yeah. and that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on, is, is that the, the fact is, is, is that Yes, here's somebody that has a diagnosis and driven wrong ways down the roads, not knowing where he is in when when he was out in the community. But I think in the play, you really illustrate this the amount of time that it took, number one, to get into the neurologist, the amount of time that it took to get yeah. the results. But then the, so you've invested all this time, and I imagine you weren't sleeping that well while you're waiting for this and then you are as you had just said he get, delivers the results to you and it's sort of like you're going to get worse and i can't really help you i got to see other patients the but then you had to get on the treadmill again to schedule another meeting with a a, a, a neurologist that i think you said that the outcome was better but it's still you don't just get to go um get the diagnosis uh, that afternoon. 
Well, right. right. And by the way, I, what you're referring to, and I, we could call the play six more weeks, couldn't we? <laughs> uh, because, it, and again, I love it. I wrote this play and I just realized in the delivery that there's a rhythm to it. And it took six. The audience almost sometimes chants with us six more weeks yeah. before you can get the net. Um, it is. It's a very long, it's frustrating. You know, think, I'm going to jump in a way to the end here, but come right back is there is a lot of good news coming and reform and but it's coming from a way long way back and the, the, i've learned that my because my experience is not unique and there is this thing well there's nothing good we can do about it let me get, i gotta go you know the doctor side they don't know what to do when they can't when there's not medicine to cure they and, the, and delivering hard news by doctors, you know, the human beings, but, you know, that's also a challenge for me. As much as when we like our current neurologist, he's been the new one, and his, how he delivered the news that it was Alzheimer's, was it's in the play, and, you know, I'm, he could do some training, but it's okay. Uh, but delivering well, really bad news to people is, I, you know, I, I want to be empathetic to that, but it is also a, a a very difficult process and you know i'm gonna jump a little bit but you know it puts me and us into a at least a period of time of not knowing what to do mm -hmm. and I, yeah yeah i think your um you, your your story here and the play reveals that we need to be more creative in how we um in the resources that we that we offer people to be diagnosed and then you know helping them with that and i think like you said there is good news and there's good news and bad news the good news the bad news is this we're living longer and this is impacting a lot more people right. but because it's impacting more people we will see change it can't happen soon enough and your story reveals that in just it, I, when I was at the in the play and you were telling the story, it's sort of like this whole process of when you were thinking about uh, that there could be something wrong with me to where you get the diagnosis is the span of years, you know, uh, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I want to address something uh, uh, because it was a very emotional part of the play. And I'm I, I had questions in terms of how much of this is reality and how much of it was artistic license. And that's the sort of the talk about ending your life and the um, and, and suicide was a number one, was that real? And B, where if if so, where was that in this span of um, diagnosis and awareness? So there is a book, and I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to mention the name of it. Okay. Unfortunately, because I don't. I'm. And by the way, today this is also Suicide Prevention Month. But there's a book written by a well-known author, in which her husband was diagnosed with early stage Alzheimer's. My diagnosis, and the book is about how hard it was for them to get to Switzerland so he could kill himself. The quote in the book is. Uh, I from she quotes her her late husband. 
is have said, I don't want to die, but I don't want to continue to become a lesser and lesser person. And maybe that book did save me in a sense that by the time I was through, I was angry. Uh, I found it through uh, an interview with a person where they complained that assisted to company suicide, why isn't it available in the US? But um, um, I had for, for an instant, I say in the play, I call it a nanosecond. It's clearly a bit longer. Seriously think of it, maybe this is what I should be doing. And it got me angry that I had to do that. And I think that was actually, oddly, a bit a part of my, because there is the period of time as strong and as I may, people may think I am now, there was this period as we went through it where we didn't know what to do. And we were, you know, we have, we have adult children, they're professionals, our daughter's a pediatric dentist, our son's a lawyer, you know, but they, you know, I go in, I don't, you know, I'll just, you know, you close in, you don't know what to do. And you think these crazy thoughts, they're not crazy. They, they are thoughts because it's a very terrible, nobody wants to, to have this. And you don't know what, but, and part of it's driven by the stereotypes. You know, I, I have since learned because part of it's because of Susan's career and I'd visit her at her work and we would see the memory credit uh, center. And those are people who are later stage and very late stage. And I think the world, here's the word dementia, which in the book I want to erase, but dementia, and they think that person sitting, staring at the sky. And by the way, we don't know what's really going on for that person, but they imagine that. They imagine late stage and that they're going to fall right into that. I've since learned, and the doctor has said in words, but also becomes accepted. It could be five to 10 years before it gets a lot worse, or it could happen tomorrow, by the way. But so you go for the long term. You go, I mean, and it made me think of also as well as Susan and anybody who's given a diagnosis of a terminal disease. You want to be the outlier of survival. The goal becomes, how can I become the outlier and, and break the statistical mode? It may well be that 80% do this and 70, 90% do that. If I can find a way to live and think and behave so that I have a, a, a shot, an opportunity to be the outlier, that's my goal. That's our goal. Mm -hmm. um, and Susan, in some ways, is a is in fact an outlier in her journey because most her doctors will tell you now they're, they're we're in touch with our oncologist still all these years later. And he said, we did, had, we did not expect that out, this outcome. So you, I shoot for the, I want, I want to be the outlier in this disease. And if not, yeah, if saying. not, I want to do something to help advance the science of treatment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if somebody kills themselves, well, maybe there was something unique about them that would have helped every other person. Right. And yeah. so uh, anyway, I, I don't want to minimize and I'm not, I'm, I don't, it is a tough journey. We are just so lucky to have had the support in each other to 
make our way through that dark period because there was a dark period and 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 i think that's really important and it's very illustrated very well in the play is 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 that the like i look at what you've done now with sort of uh well with writing the play and performing and getting out and talking about this and showing people that hey i do have a real diagnosis with dementia but i can still live a purposeful life and um mm -hmm. when when did you sort of leave that dark area and and move into this sort of purposeful living and you know what your journey reminds me of and, and folks if you haven't seen i believe it's called the last dance it's a uh, performer glenn campbell who toured with with relatively severe dementia mm -hmm. and uh was able to you know share his music with you know thousands of people and uh and 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 live with purpose while he had dementia as well but but what how'd you get out of that dark area well i was, it was we were, we're lucky i mean um first of all i wasn't quiet about it now maybe that's just my personality i did not hide and i was telling lots of people and um sort of living i've tended to live my life out loud <laughs> ralph nader is your uh one of your heroes yeah and then, then I wrote and I had written another play. So maybe it's a gift from Susan that I wrote that other play and was more likely to to do this. So uh, I was hearing more and seeing more. I and because I wrote another play and I'm involved in a theater group, it's called Solo Arts Heal, that people do solo shows about medical conditions. And I'll, I'll name her Gail uh, 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 Sheekly who she lives in San Francisco, but she urged me. She she had seen the actual dance and she was aware of my work. And she was really urging me to do it. And it was really her urging that, uh, you know, pushed me uh, trying to, to go ahead and give it a shot and start writing. And I've worked with, uh, folks who had helped me with the actual dance theater, solo art, you know, solo writing isn't done by one person. I have a dramaturg that is like a writing coach. I have a director and I have this community that helped lift me up and encourage me. And then when I, I in January of this year, I, That's I, um, it's funny I, to me, I did a preview presentation at a conference of a play that I hadn't yet written. So just think about that. I did a 20 minute showcase of a play not yet written that's called Magic. Anyway, um, and the audience reaction has been so, you know, I feed off of the audience, your reaction, Steve. I mean, it's, it's humbling to, to see the reaction to that. Um, and, um, it has been that energy that I've helped me keep going because I, I'm human, believe it or not. And there are moments when it gets hard and you get tired where you question your, your, 
judgments and whether you've done the right thing and what to do. You know, you see a lot of people, you know, go travel the world while you still can. Go do see every we interesting. We we actually it's in the book and it's in the other play. We had that conversation with Susan when she had what when the doctors went dark. We had what I call the conversation. You sit down with each other <laughs> and you say, "What do we do now?" And there are a lot of people who sell everything, go travel the world, go do everything. You you fill the bucket list. We actually don't have a bucket list. Our bucket list is to stay around. Right. I'm, I'm holding her hand. Thank oh, you. I love it. Um, because um, and her words were, we're not doing things we love now. Let's change, not because you or I might die, because we're not doing what we find important. So it's, you know, like a lot of it is her and having that energy, but the audience and the feedback, your graciousness to do this, has been enormously yeah. inspiring to me. I, to do thank that. you. Well, I got to, uh, during in the play, and I'm going to bring up a picture of you in the performance. For, for you, yeah. you actually have the script there in, whoops. Um, yeah. You have the script there in your hand. And um, the, uh, and you say at the beginning of the play, I have the script to, to oh, whoops, uh, oh, shoot. I'm sorry, I'm looking at another screen while I'm talking to you, that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. You have a script there uh, of the play in the hand. You make no bones about it that I have the script in my hand because I might have to reference it, but you also had somebody in the audience and I forgot what you called her, like a cognitive navigator. Yeah, um, so, so uh, just if I'm, I, I part of my career when I was doing Ralph Nader kind of work, I also got very involved in the disability rights movement. I spent 15 years on the board of the World Institute on Disability and um, um, got to know people like the late Judy Human, maybe folks that remember her, the, the mother of the modern disability movement and others. And um, I've lost track of where I'm going with the with, with answering a question. I've lost. Right, no, we're talking you, about the cognitive nav navigator. Oh, right. okay. Thank you very much. See, <laughs> it can happen. Uh, um, and so the the accommodations. There are no accommodations right now under, under an ADA conceptual framework. Somebody in one of the meetings said the ADA stops at the neck. That there, don't so I, and I'm really. It's funny. It just came to me. I was writing. What if we had cognitive navigators? I say as available as curb cuts. So curb cuts lets the wheelchair people out there. Well, if there's if the places I go, even maybe on buses, or maybe trained cabs. You know, they trained a whole fleet of cabs for wheelchairs. They didn't exist before, and now they did it, and so people wheelchairs can get a cab. Well, maybe. There's a cab crew that is trained in dealing with cognitively impaired people. Yeah. And so that they are cognitive navigators. They know how to, they know techniques, they know what they might have to do. They can get us to where we're supposed to be. Maybe every museum will have a cognitive tour guide. Maybe I, I 
often, you know, I worked part-time, as I said, in New York for a while. Well, I can, I sit there and imagine what if at the train stations, there were people who could deal with, they deal with people with mobile mobility impairments. Well, maybe they can come and help me get on the train, make sure they know where I'm at, make sure the conductor knows where I'm at. And then I met with somebody uh, at my destination who can make sure, you know, part of it, there'll be people to pick me up or find me, but make sure if you've ever been to Penn Station, you know, it can be a tunnel, <laughs> uh, help me find that so that, and they're identified as, you know, and I didn't know that, but there are certifications now and a certification uh, more in, in, in the context of um, more, you know, assisted living and memory centers, but want to have the same kind of ability to training to deal with people as they do everyday tasks. I, I love it. And when I heard, I love the term too, cognitive navigator, but just so folks know, in the audience, when Sam was performing, this woman who has knowledge of theater arts and knows Sam was there to provide cues if you needed them. And I believe you did need her during the performance that I uh, that I saw. Yes. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of folks that are asking, will this be recorded? I jumped in late. Yes, it, it's recorded. It's going to be at proaging.com uh, later this afternoon, along with Sam's contact information, all of his links and everything. Um, Sam, let me get to some of the questions and comments that are coming in. Um, first, and this is good for some of the people that uh, arrived late, uh, Jamie says, yes, this sounds very typical based on my mother's experience. Maybe I missed it. But roughly, when did Sam start noticing something wasn't right? That time when it was mostly internal to you that had you go to the doctor. So, the, and and uh, so just like, what was that? Do you remember the year that that was? Uh, that, well, that you, you, you know something, I, I want to mention two quick things in response to that, because it's a, hard to be precise. Yeah. There are parts of me that for some time felt different than Susan. So again, how do we compare ourselves? How do we know whether we're not normal or different? And a lot of it for me was directional and driving, but specific memory. I still tend to think, well, she's got this fabulous memory. It's more on the other side that I have cognitive impairments. But but so I always sort of wonder about little parts of that. But it was really a beginning. Um, well, let's see, I, mean, I in the play, you know, the driving thing was 2016. And so this is 2021. It's, it, it was probably a few years before that. Okay. I have since read, I do want to say again, once we're diagnosed, we'll look back and we'll notice things that work cues so just so i ran a public affairs company and it went from just me and a desk to over 25 years to almost 50 people i did well and i sold and retired but then you know I, I could keep my finances in my brain and every sunday you know this was years later every sunday afternoon i do quicken just boom 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 it was just habit and after the diagnosis, I hadn't done it for a year. 
it was, I'll get to it, right? I'll get to it. I need to do it Sunday, but I'll get to it. And I started putting those things off, but I didn't understand. I didn't realize that it was something else going on with me. And again, uh, thank God for GPS, because one of my things have been mainly directional and travel. Right. And I will even today, Susan drives with me. I have not stopped driving. But, you know, there'll be moments where I, I, I just stop. I don't know where I'm at. I can, you know, I can, I can be nearby, but it's nothing looks familiar anymore for a moment. And I have to stop. I have to wait. And it's coming back. Um, but, you know, there's always the possibility that somebody's going to find me wandering. That hasn't happened yet. And the blind said, no silver, <coughs> silver, silver alerts yet for Sam Simon. But, you know, so we're, we're spending time, I'm jumping ahead, a lot of time now trying to plan. Um, great, great. Um, lots of thank yous and lots of uh, inspiration uh, that you're offering. And, and, and somebody restated your quote, and <laughs> I love it, is, is that cognitive navigators as available as curb cuts. That's something for us to really think about and not just people with dementia, but also, you know, families that may have a, a child with a cognitive impairment right. or developmental disability. I think that that you're right is, is that we all know when we see somebody in a wheelchair to open the door and to help them up the, the curb, but when you've got cognitive impairment or uh, developmental disabilities, it's it's more invisible and it's like are you making it up uh you, you know how could i be talking right now to a man that's been diagnosed with dementia it's like surely this isn't 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 real people um, roll their eyes sometimes and let me just just to remind people now wheelchairs are really visible you know deaf and blind people are in our theaters because we have audible description we have signing and the advancement to that stage is no bigger a leap than finding cognitive accommodations. You know, there was a time to, to believe that uh, a blind person could, quote, see a, a, a play, because now somebody's in the back, he's got a blue feather and she's wiggling her hips, and she's doing this and that. They hear it, but they don't, but they can be. And if, if you told that to somebody once, they would have laughed. They would have rolled their eyes. So I, and now with, I would just add with the, you know, something that I'm tech savvy, but the AI's evolution and coming, it can be a really, I don't have the specifics, but I think there's a lie a big pass, a, a, a lot of potential for us. And I, and it's in line to play. I don't know, maybe there'll be an, a chat GPT or AI robot that will learn me so deeply that when I am unable to express myself, they could do it as if it were me. I, I love it. Yeah. Talk about an amazing use of, of AI uh, and uh, artificial intelligence. I love the way you're thinking uh, uh, Sam. Okay, let's let's get to a few more of these here. Um, so somebody says, 
Will the play only be live performances? Has a live performance of the play ever been recorded or will it be recorded? Thank you for these gifts to life and the whole extended family of life. Amazing inspiration. Um, I dropped in the performance and I'll share it here. It's coming up in January at the um, Insight Memory Care Center on January 11th. Uh, Sam, I believe I talked with the woman who right. set that up and she's going to try to record it, correct? Yes, and I did, we did record it. I, I, I have a very serious concern about record, airing these things and performing in unmediated environments because of the de depth of the emotional impacts of the show and of the topics. And we do talk, you know, we, we touched on suicide, but it's, it is almost the backdrop of the play. It's a bare stage. It has a, it is, the bare stage is the imagined Switzerland. It's a mm -hmm. small table, two chairs, and a pink cup. Yep, I and love I'm, it. I'm a little bit, because that thought, we, we went over pretty quick. That thought sits in so much of this dialogue. Not, I'm nowhere near that anymore. I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not worried about myself. I am worried though about that to a degree for an unmediated audience, and where there isn't the ability to, if need be, spot somebody or be there and be aware that there's a lot of suicide conversation. Yeah. in this play because it, I you know I, I'm shocked not shocked I'm just I don't know the right word disappointed I but I'm saddened the degree to which suicide is viewed as a viable option to uh, living out what can be a very challenging thing life yeah, but but I, I I loved how you addressed it because it is a real emotion. Whenever we're for some people, uh, when uh, faced with news that literally is like having the rug pulled out from underneath you. And um, um, okay, we got lots of questions here, folks. I'm going to try to get to these. And um, okay, oh, and also I want to remind folks, it's about five minutes to one right now. Um, Sam and Susan, if you can hang on for a little bit longer, if those of you who need to jump off, this is recorded. It's it'll be at proaging.com. Um, let's see. Um, okay, uh, where are we at here? Um, uh, oh shoot. Uh, Jamie says this sounds so much like my mother's experience. It was so frustrating. I think that's when you were talking about the doctor's appointments. Um, Thank you, uh, Lori says, thank you, Sam and, and Susan, for your honesty and courage in sharing your story. I too run a virtual early stage support group and would be honored for you to share your story with our group. Okay, that's great. That's, that's his goal. Um, Deborah says, went to a neurologist to talk about things I was seeing, seeing things that concerned me. He told me to enjoy my hallucinations. I do have migraine with aura and he referred me to a headache doctor. Um, and, and again, you know, we can't sort of say that that might not be an accurate diagnosis, but as Sam had said, when you do have your diagnosis and you begin to look back in the past 
it's sort of like, oh, wow, I started having significant changes at this point in my life. And I think, you know, the, the important thing with dementia is like it, you've alluded to it, Sam, is, is that, hey, look, you know, we could you potentially untreated you could be endangering yourself or other people potentially <laughs> if if you're not managing this correctly. Can, um, I, can I just say to the person who just said that migraines, um, it was a long time ago, but I had um vascular headaches at some point, early point in my life. That's a unique form of uh, migraine. And I, I wondered whether there would be a connection. So maybe we need to go to neurologists and say, have you ever looked for a connection between Alzheimer's or dementia and people who've had early stage? Anyway, so I, I'm interesting to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Vivian says, my husband's neurologist didn't even deliver the bad news, the diagnosis himself, but assigned it to a nurse practitioner who met with us six weeks after the neurological test oh my gosh and and i think six more weeks six yeah, six more more, weeks. It, you're right it's oh. always six weeks and and i think again we know there are caring trained competent people in this field of neurology and memory care it's you know the the system is not supporting a, a um a better environment, I would say. And, and, and I think people like you telling these stories is hopefully going to make change here in, in the short term. Um, uh, Vivian says, you had talked about being an outlier. Vivian says, Sam's sense of humor already makes him an outlier. <laughs> um, uh, Jamie says, Looking back, there were early warning signs in my mother eight years before she even thought to go see a doctor. By the way, she also suffered from migraines, depression, and anxiety. And uh -huh. uh, thank you for sharing that, Jamie. And the, the you know, Sam, I think that you had mentioned that you, at your first doctor's visit, the doctor basically put you on some anxiety or depression meds. Yeah, Mild dose, I call it a mild dose of, uh, of depression. Thought I had a mild dose, a mild. Which, know. you know, what you realize with when we, we're already, well, the other thing that we've got problems with is our, all of us are being over-medicated. And by, you can see where that medication, and in Jamie's case, you know, with her mom was probably taking some medications that basically masks right what you're right. really feeling and, and no they, they so so they can mask they right so so there's a value to being anxious about something that's not right so that you get treated if you get that anxiety gone then you don't have the pressure to go go back there, there, there's there's a bad loop in that that i don't know mm -hmm. that's ever been talked about it's sort of like um um, get away from me. Let's, I'll give you this. I don't have to deal with the harder part. No, exactly. You know, and it's, um, uh, and, and I'll tell you something on the medications 
I'm gonna uh, I'll pull it up and drop it into chat uh, because we're talking about dementia and medications. We had a another real life story that we featured on here, which was a woman who had um, she had been living in a nursing home for uh, two years, diagnosed with dementia and uh, a bunch of other uh, conditions, was put on hospice. And when she was put on hospice, they took her off all medications except for the pain medications. And she recovered. And I actually just talked to her last week. She's living independently back in her condo before she moved to the nursing home. So medications and how we we mm -hmm. treat treat them are, are are knowing that is very important. As Deborah says, some meds I am taking now can cause cognitive issues, and those meds are important. But you can see where it just delays uh, getting that proper diagnosis. Um, Tracy says, "Thank you for your sensitivity to the um, suicide topic, as it is a problem with both young and old, and is devastating to families." And you know. Uh, you're, there is a, um, uh, the percentage, there's, there are trends with older adults committing suicide. And one interesting report that I read is, is that, and I, and I know I'm going to botch this, but I think it's very important if, if it comes out anyway, is, is that suicide is preventable if you talk to somebody, is, is that, but if you don't talk to somebody then um, you're at a higher risk. And so for anybody who has a loved one, you know, that may be facing the, these thoughts and challenges, uh, talking to a therapist and, um, and getting a perspective that, you know, thank, th thank you, uh, Sam, for not being one of those statistics because we're having this amazing conversation and inspiring tons of people today because because of because of that and um, that's that that's that 988 number now too if people yeah. to somebody um and then let's see uh eileen says bless both of you for your transparency great work sam and susan uh paula says my daughter was recently in an airport in peru and saw a display referring to sunflower lanyards for folks with hidden disabilities that attendants can discreetly help if necessary. Man, uh, uh, Paula, I'm gonna do some research on that because I think something like that would be wonderful for us to spotlight on these discussions, but that's that's what we need is, is something that doesn't sort of stigmatize um, a cognitive or mental illness, but enables us to, people to be aware that, mm -hmm. uh, that that we might be thinking differently or acting differently, um, just like somebody in a wheelchair or somebody with a walker right. uh, moves differently. Uh, so Paula, I'm gonna do some research on that. And if anybody has information, just shoot me an email uh, too. Um, uh, folks love the idea of the cognitive navigator. Uh, Jane says the experience, oh, I love this. Jane says the experience of doing improv strikes me as another area for finding opportunity to grow and learn to cope better when I'm in cognitive decline as Sam Simon explored. Uh, hey, uh, I will tell you, Jane, I am a huge fan of improv and uh, it is an absolutely wonderful way to exercise your brain and give you confidence. But more importantly, 
connect you to a community of some of the coolest people that I've ever met. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I participate in an improv group. I don't really like being on stage. I like jamming with the improv people in our practices and just seeing where our thoughts go. And um, it's just amazing. So um, Jane, that I think is a great thing to exercise your brain with. And I think you know this, Steve, but improv as a technique for the care partner. Um, so if you have a partner, if you're ever in the environment, telling somebody with a cognitive impairment or who is, you know, advanced uh, cognitive decline, they're wrong. If you ever say yeah. no, it's just not going to work. Well, and, and, so and we don't do that in improv. It's yes and. Yes, yes and. And just, yes and in my just is to accept all information given. And there is some great stuff on this and and uh, dementia as well. But if somebody, you know, there was a movie where somebody thought there were, had been a, a cleaning person was whacking chairs with some sort of stick. And the, the nurse didn't say, you're not cleaning, stop doing that. They said, oh, you're almost finished cleaning. Let's make <laughs> this the last, let's make this the last chair. Yep. And then uh, let's go have lunch. So it was a yes. And let's go have lunch because it was there happened to be a lunchtime. So, but as a human trait, I, I you know, I ran a company, I said, for 20, 25 years. I, and it was during that I learned some of my improv and it changed how I, how I dealt with employees. Oh yeah. Let you me know, tell you, yeah. a typical business meeting is, and, and conference room meeting is the exact opposite of an improv uh, jam <laughs> session. Um, okay. De I know we're, we're, we've been on for over an hour, but Deborah says there are museum tour guides as cognitive facilitators and those who work in creative expression classes, guiding caregivers and those challenge. Say, Deborah, send me any information that you have on that because I would love to, to feature that as well. And then um, uh, Eileen says, have you found any dementia-friendly designations or restaurants? So, so there's this dementia-friendly movement where yeah. one of the goals was to train like restaurant uh, team members about people with cognitive impairment. Um, have you stumbled into any of any of that in your travels? Not that specific thing. I want to, uh, before we get off into two minutes, reimagining dementia, if they don't know about it, it's, there's, a, there's a movement, it's called reimagining dementia, which is dedicated to, the, to just this conversation. They're sponsoring this coming week or this week, the events they call it taking it to the streets uh but it is what we're we're all talking about reimagining dimension yes jessica they are a fantastic group they and mary fridley who heads it um i reached out to her when i started with uh, having to mm -hmm. be the, the actual dancer with susan because that, that helped me um uh very much with, with with this thing so um yeah reimagining dementia and people again this goes back to the whole idea that it's not dementia it's not madness it's not insanity 
It's not insanity. Yeah. It's something else. And, and we can have meaningful lives. Yep. And I, I've, um, I dropped that into chat. That's wonderful. Um, you know, in, I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, uh, Jennifer Wexton, because we had a conversation about her before we came on. I feel like we've done a good job of covering, uh, of getting an, an overview. I could talk for you for several more hours, but, um, but, but uh, Sam, do you want to sort of share some of your thoughts on Jennifer Wexton, who um, I'm going to share this opinion piece in the um, uh, from the Washington Post today. Well, first of all, Jennifer Wexton is a congressperson who is our is a friend of ours. Um, she had uh, my son who works in the Northern Virginia area and who is a, a member of the Virginia legislature knew Jennifer. And uh, we've um, because she's a friend, because my son's so close, we've hosted her for every one of her, for, for her first fundraisers, every campaign. But she was diagnosed, and she was in our home maybe two months ago, three months ago, but was diagnosed with, initially with Parkinson's. And she just disclosed it's called progressive supranuclear palsy, which is not curable. And um, so she's decided not to run it. She was going to run for re-election with her Parkinson's, but she's not now. But it so reminded me of my own journey in so many ways. You get the diagnosis. You don't know what to do. She was determined earlier that her, you know, Alzheimer's in theory is a terminal diagnosis, that there is no cure. Um, and that's a daunting thing. And she has something for which there's no known cure. And probably is gonna move a little bit faster, but she is, um, the Post article said it very well too. It, you know, I guess the my humility is that I'm not the only one doing going through this. There's so many people in this world from in different places and um, there's the tragedy narrative. There is, I think, and, and look, there is, we all want more time. And I'm lucky, I'm 78. Jennifer's in her 50s. Um, but we, we don't control our fate. Um, I don't know whether we can do that. Coming to terms with what happens is, you know, I, I do want to give a shout out. We're Jewish, but every faith, our faith community has been extraordinarily supportive. And I just want to repeat, though, take your journey, if you're on this journey, in a way that can help others so that you can't undo what's done. You can't go backward. You can't. What we can do is the future. We still can do things. And I continue to, you know, if, if my play has any megaphone, it would be, whatever time we have left, whatever, make it available to help find solutions for everybody. So I, I am in a drug trial uh, and I say in the play, you know, I'm, if, if any of you are Alzheimer's, it's not the amyloid one. This is for to stop the creation of the black tangles that are in the brain. I don't have tangles. I just have, I'm what they call amyloid positive. 
And, oh, I don't have it on. I've got to put it on. I'm, I'm in a study for a watch. And the watch will, the people register will tell me who's, who's in my house and what their name is with a picture of them. You know, it can be helpful. But if we can find in our soul, so to speak, notwithstanding how unhappy the moment is for us, Man, that I, we can we can get back still. Mm -hmm. So that that's where I'm at. I, and and have amazing love partners. <laughs> not everybody is married. Not everybody's lucky enough. And there are still things you can do. I'm very very fortunate. This this has been great, um, Sam. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for so much for everything that you're doing. And I hope it inspires others. And the woman, Ginger, that I was talking about that was in the nursing home, she's actually listening to this. And uh, she 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 said she sent me a note. Ginger, I mean, if more people can get out there and be brave enough to share their stories, it can really change the world. And and, you know, like I would take 10 of these discussions every day of the week as opposed to, you know, me or another expert up here talking about the 10 things that you need to do to right. sort of preserve your memory. When we hear these, these, these real life stories, it has so much impact. And, um, uh, Susan, uh, I, I, you, you've been so supportive and you've got a, um, uh, a wonderful man there that was, uh, is creative and was supportive to you. But, uh, I know, I haven't asked you that many questions, but I, I'd like to give you sort of the final word on sort of what is this what has this journey been like for you as a uh, as a family member? Um, well, the journey we, as he said, we've gotten um, we've gone from dark to opening up. Um, the play has been fantastic. People ask me how is he all the time, and I say. Be, he is doing very well because he has a purpose. And I think that's very, very important for the, the caregiver to work with the person and make sure that they have a purpose and be a part of that purpose uh, because that's what's going to make their life better and your life better. Um, there will be ups and downs. I can't say that there aren't times that we forget the yes and and we yell at each other <laughs> and then we apologize and we go back and say, oh, we should have said it this way or that way. But communication is just very, very important. And there are lots of support groups that you can go to. Uh, both for the person experiencing it and both for the caregiver. Um, and there are ones that you do together. So there are lots of different things out there. So explore them. But just remember, the most important thing is that communication between each other. Man. What well, very well said. I I, I want to thank both of you and remind the audience, especially those that hung in for the hour and twenty. Uh, this recording will be there uh, this afternoon, and um, and and I'm going to make sure to get all of Sam's uh, play performances on our calendar so they're easy for you all to go out there and uh, see and meet him firsthand. 
invite your friends and family because you know if it's hard to have a conversation like this to say family let's sit down and let's talk about what if i had dementia it's i can tell you i can guarantee this it's a lot easier to say i want to take you to a play okay and it's performed by a gentleman who has dementia and then afterwards you have coffee or dinner and you just it's the dialogue is going to be much easier um and uh uh this this is ex, this is an exciting time in sort of helping us move the needle to better better care thank, thank you for having us and yes, thank you for this event i really really appreciate it you bet all right folks have a great week and we'll talk to you soon okay